0: Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Uh, Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Shonda Wesley. Hello. Former Executive Director of the California Democratic Party. A member of the State Personnel Board and a member of CalPERS, the board, and we wanted to ask you about a lot of stuff today. One of the things I think we wanted to chat about is your personal experience with medical negligence. MICRA is a big issue. It has been for many years. Uh, It looks like it will be on the ballot in 2022, and um, I wanted to ask you about that and your personal involvement with the issue and how you think it's going to go.
2: Well... Um, you know, I, I always knew about the law and it always concerned me, but as most people who have been through, um, medical negligence or had a family member or friend who's gone through it, you don't really know until you know, <laughs> and my story was one that was just error after error after error and really changed my life for the rest of my life. And so, um, You know, it's one night um, at midnight, I couldn't get to sleep. I had the worst headache of my life, Um, was wearing, walking around wearing ice packs on my head. Um, And I ended up driving myself to the emergency room and the decision was made by the doctor not to scan my brain and instead give me painkillers and tell me it was a migraine and to leave. I was there a few hours, but, um, you know, and the thing is about as a patient, you want to trust your doctor. And for the most part, even now I do trust doctors, but I also realize every time I go to an appointment that they are human and there are errors that happen. And that error, um, caused, um, an incredible wrinkle in my life. Um, within about 36 hours later, I Didn't know my son's name. My friend took me to the um, ER when I didn't think I needed to go because I basically wasn't even thinking straight. Um, Then they told me I had a tumor, which I didn't. Then they um, admitted me to the hospital for seven days. Um, After that, they discharged me while I was coughing up bloody phlegm. I said, I don't think I should leave. I mean, I th- I, there were days, honestly, uh, John and Tim, that I don't remember. I remember them telling me I had a brain tumor, which I didn't, but I passed out. Like, I don't, I don't remember most of the time I was at the hospital. Uh, when they released me, I said, I'm, oh, wow. I'm coughing up bloody phlegm. Are you sure you want me to go? That seems like maybe that's a thing. <laughs> um, they, they sent me away anyway. And wow. in less than 24 hours, I was screaming in pain on my primary care physician's um, exam table. And she sent me back to the hospital. There I spent oh God, now how old
0: how old were you when this happened? Forty
2: five. Wow. 45. So when I got back, they hmm. um they figured out I had a DBT, which is a huge clot in my um, leg, and I was suffering from a pulmonary embolism, which is the cause of the the fuzzy phlegm and with the can oh kill you God. as well. <laughs> and um
1: oh, wow. so all of
2: those things happened and finally um on that visit I got an incredible specialist who came in and ran every test under the book in the book. And, um, you know, at the at one point during this whole ordeal, um, the docs were telling my family that they should be making nursery. um, I'm sorry, nursing home reservations for me, and that I might not ever be going home. And I'm a single mom, I had uh, my incredible son with the gift of a friend to have him. Um, And he was two and a half years old at the time. Oh, wow. And he would have been parentless for the rest of his life because of this.
0: God. This is basically everyone's worst nightmare.
2: It's, it's actually not. They get so much worse. Uh, so much worse than mine. Well, because you know, you know what? Yeah, prepared... I, guess,
0: I guess the ultimate outcome, no. But the actual experience you went through, the, you do everything right. You go to the hospital. You follow up. You are articulate with your doctors. You tell them what's going on. You're forceful about your treatment. And still, everything goes wrong.
2: Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of reasons I think that happens. I think that there's you know um, medical errors are the third leading cause of death. I mean, pre COVID, <laughs> pre COVID they were, and um, that comes from people making mistakes, which happens, and um, also implicit bias when you see someone and you look them up and down and make your own you know judgments about. You know what you know about them. I was um, a woman who was 45 years old and went to hot yoga three or four times a week. I worked out. I was vegan at the time. Like, I I didn't present as someone who would have a stroke. Um. And but you know, I I went and got a lot of. I got a second opinion from Mayo Clinic. Um. And when I went there, one of the most important things that came out of that is when the doctor who was heading the team reviewing all of my paperwork closed the binder handed me all the materials and said I want you to know something when you walk into an emergency room and you say you have the worst headache of your life it is a question for a first year medical student and the answer is a CT scan and when she said that it was a mess. I just started. I just started sobbing because uh, it, yeah. it it all could have been different.
1: You know how else would you describe it though? I mean, it, you're not a doctor, and none of us are doctors. And when you have a when you have a sensation that you don't recognize that you know is different from the sensations you normally have, I mean, who knows our own bodies better than ourselves? You express it the best way you can, and. Yeah, You know, surely part of medical training is to make doc, make doctors aware of that, whether they're first year medical students or not, you know.
2: Well, and John, if you walked in and had the same symptoms, you would have had a CT scan. I was a woman who couldn't handle the pain. Uh, Let's mm-hmm. be honest. You know, women have a lower threshold for pain. She probably is just having a migraine. Let's give her some meds to make her feel better and send her on her way. You know, my kid was nine nine, and I pushed him out. So yeah, I know what pain is, and this was a lot of pain. Um, women are misjudged, and people of color mainly are the ones who um, are most hurt by medical hmm. errors. Uh huh. So um, it's it's. I I had a job. I was able to uh, make ends meet. Burton took incredible care of me. I'm so lucky. I was at the party at the time. Um, but yeah. I I did the best I could to make sure they knew exactly what was going on and um, they didn't listen. You know who did listen, though? Nurses. Always talk to the nurse when the doctor's out of the room.
1: You know, you're in a high, I think, a high-pressure occupation anyway. I mean, a lot of it, it, Sacramento-driven and political stuff and politics and all this stuff in Sacramento, but but, uh, strategy and consulting and campaign stuff and... All of this comes together where there's a lot of there's a lot of tension and stress up here, and it might not get reflected, not get get let out in a lot of ways, and maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the stress of doing politics twenty four seven, which a lot of people around here do, uh, maybe that plays into it somehow. I don't know, but it, there's a lot going
0: on there. Did they ever figure out what caused the blood clot, Shonda? They didn't. Hmm.
2: They didn't. So, um, you know, all, all of the stuff that you would normally test for someone who experienced a stroke, I was normal on before. And now, I mean, I just, I never had issues like this before. So, and, and honestly, when I was at the Mayo Clinic, they said, you know, they get, um, 500,000 or so, you know, blood clot, um, cases that they review and half of them are, they don't know why they happened. It just, it, it, it can happen. You know, the the issue that I, um, it took me a long time to realize that I had been wronged, (laughs) that uh, people had made errors. Um, It wasn't until three different doctors told me that, um, explained what had happened to me and um, how they were at fault. Um, One doctor did tell me I should sue. Um, And that's when I started to realize um, what the micro law really Um, Does to patients and you know a lot of times we talk about this issue as Doctors versus lawyers and that is not what this fucking issue is about It's about people in the middle and that's people who whose lives are completely upended and Who don't have the ability to care for themselves anymore or they lose someone who they love? um, to because of a death that was preventable and really it's the medical malpractice insurers Hiding behind the white coats of the docs um, and these patients—that's who's really having this conversation. And a lot of times, I think when we talk about micro, we forget the voice of the the patients in the middle um, and how this has affected them. Because I mean, John, you've been around; you understand micro probably a lot better than me. But oh, no. you know, <laughs> I know more of it now than about it now yeah. that I did before. But-
1: you know, what's interesting is um there's some things here that don't get changed, you know, year to year. And Micra, it's always been a hot topic. It is always people really want to deal with it and and either remove the cap, peg it to inflation, figure some other way of doing it, make an analogous to some other states uh, that California seems to be more restrictive than most. But it never seems yeah. to get off the ground. So is this insurance money basically that's blocking it? Is there something else going on?
2: You betcha. That's, that's part of it. And I think a lot of people who I think the legislature that's there now haven't been through all of these fights. And so um, the beautiful part about uh, my, my old job and what I do for a living now is that sometimes people will listen to a story that they haven't heard before. And um, you know, some people, when I talk to them, whether it's in, let me just tell you inside and outside the capital community, meaning inside the Capitol and outside the capital, there are so many people who have been affected by this issue. You just don't know about them. I was able to key into that when I wrote the op-ed because a lot of them came to me and said, let me tell you what happened to my mom. Let me tell you what happened to my brother. Let me tell you what happened to me. And it's amazing the number of people in there who do understand this issue and have been through this kind of uh-huh. um, yeah. fight before. Mm-hmm. And I don't. And, it, and the one thing that really pisses me off is when you there's economic loss. Like if I wasn't able to work, okay, we could sue over that. But I could always work. It's non economic loss. Um, some people like to tag it as pain and suffering, um, quality of life, and I don't know that people understand what that means. And so. I, I wanted to give a couple of examples of what that meant for me. And I, I, I try not to cry, but sometimes I do. Um, it, every, every morning at 3 a.m. I would wake up after this happened when I was home with my son. And every morning at 3 a.m. I would wake up in a cold sweat thinking I was going to die. Um, and oh, I had God. no one to turn to because doctors hurt me. I had a friend who yeah. would call me at 730 every morning to make sure I picked up the phone. Because I was convinced I was going to die. I would walk to the park with my son, who I couldn't pick up because I was too weak, and the fatigue was so strong. He knows all about mom's nap times, you know, for the first year. I walked into the park more than once where I ended up laying on the ground because the because the entire park was spinning around me because of a panic attack. Um, those are all things that I can't give you a bill for. But crying in every doctor's appointment for two years even though the doctor i'm sitting across now i like (laughs) and i feel like they're looking out for me i would literally sit there and i had this one doctor stop she goes what is happening why are you crying i'm like oh it just happens now when i'm when i'm with you in the you know in the office Mm -hmm. because you're a doctor and ptsd it's exactly what it was and and so when people like to say, oh, pain and suffering and kind of make fun of it, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> it's, it's a real thing. And I, um, the, the two years, the first two years were the hardest. Uh, now I only kind of, uh, experience ugh, a very small percentage of that, but now, um, five years out, um, around this time of the year, cause I'm reminded of, um, what happened because it's the month of October, um
1: mm-hmm. yeah and you think this has made you more effective in in communicating the need for this to 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 clients to the public to yeah you know, voters I mean a- made you a more absol- effective advocate, do you think
2: absolutely, but not even with my story i mean there's there's um there's that story i you might have seen it about a little girl Mia Moreno um she is in a wheelchair for life um because of an error. And her mother has quit her job and become an, um, an IHSS worker in order to take care of her daughter. And her father has health care. So that's what's paying for, um, you know, a lot of her needs. Um, because she's a wow. child, she doesn't have any economic damages.
0: Whoa. So that
2: means the cap would be $250,000. And typically, you don't get two fifty dollars unless you die. So... That, in the end, is probably going to be $150,000, her case. Um, so, So when I look at this, I'm like, okay, great. So I'm a rate payer for health insurance. So she's on the health insurance that other people are helping to pay for. And the person who caused her harm isn't helping to pay for that. And I'm a state taxpayer. And so now I'm helping to pay for her mother to care for her when the person who caused her the pain doesn't have to pay for that. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. that's bullshit. You know, when people harm other people, it's like if I were a doctor and I, and I condemned someone by my error to a wheelchair for the rest of her life or killed somebody by error, the guilt I would have. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel for them because mistakes happen. And... How do you, how do you get through with that hanging over your head that you made a mistake like that? You get over it by making amends and it's not out of your pocketbook. It's the goddamn premium that you're paying the medical malpractice insurers. They're the ones who are skating away. They're making a killing on this. Oh, that's a bad word to use, but I was gonna they are.
0: Say, pardon the pun.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Is there a
1: I mean, have you seen a a solution to this that doesn't involve Micra or involves some other form of coverage? In worker injury cases, they have workers' comp, which is basically no fault, and and so the assumption is that you get uh, you get lawyers out of the case and you get others out of the case. You basically the employer has made an agreement, made a you know the promise basically of covering uh, injuries on the job injuries. Is there some way? That might not apply here, but is there some way of getting around um, this impasse that's existed now for since gonna, 75, you, almost since it was approved, it was a challenge?
2: Is there a way of getting around it? You can't have a, you put a, put a patient or a patient's family up against um, um, an insurance company to pay out. No, thanks. That's not happening. Uh-huh. You know, that's just not happening. It, it, they would never be successful. You know, it's like I I know a lot of people love to give uh, make jokes about lawyers, but um, they're the ones who are taking these cases and paying for everything up front to prosecute the case. And then, um, you know, if they lose, they lose. They don't get their money back. It's like I'd love to see a political consultant who's like, oh, yeah, I'll pay for the media and the mail and the staff and the polling and uh, you only have to pay me back and give me a fee. If uh, we win the campaign,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's ridiculous.
2: And right now it's, it's, it's only, it's, it's $250,000 cap, like conservatively, conservatively, it should be at least 1.3. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a bare minimum to me, because I'm more concerned about the patient safety aspect. When you have um, caps, patient safety goes down. When caps come off, Patient safety goes up. Doctors are more careful.
0: Now, has there been a study uh, that shows that, like, but for different states or something,
2: of uh, what their caps? Yeah, are?
0: that uh, that shows that when you have lower caps or higher caps, and it shows that the outcomes, the safety outcomes.
2: Yeah, there is. I can send it okay. to you. There I'm are. I'm
0: curious. And then, there so are. this, there's a proposition to change all this, and that's coming up. It was originally going to be they were going to try to get it on this year, but now it's going to be 2022. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yeah, there's a guy who um, who actually uh, lost a child to malpractice who uh, paid to put it on the the ballot.
1: Really was was and, this a pandemic um, thing, putting it to 2022? Do You know, or are there other? Was it a
2: you'd uh, have to fear ask maybe a
1: recession? <laughs> another recession would you know would hit or something? Um,
2: I uh, think he, you'd have to you'd have to ask him his sure. his um, reasons for doing it. Um, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't work with lawyers or with him. Uh Um, so yeah, he'd be the best person to talk to about that. I think the one thing, a couple of things that I really liked about the, the measure though, um, because it's not just the cap, there's also, um, lying to jurors. So you could be a juror on a case like this, like this one, Mia Moreno, and you could say, okay, well, let's give them $5 million. Right. So then... You know, the mom can spend time with her at home and take care of her. She can get all the, you know, medical uh, support she needs and have some kind of good quality of life. But the, the problem is, is the jurors are never told. They're explicit, explicitly prohibited from knowing that the minute they leave the courtroom, that's cut to 250. Whoa. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I love the idea that jurors will be made aware that uh, these people were getting screwed. Um And then the other thing is the collateral source rule. Um, Do you know that that part of the law already, John?
1: (laughs) No, uh
2: huh? Okay. Well, basically, okay. So one of you has an iPhone, I'm guessing. If I took your iPhone and I threw it against a wall um, and crushed it, would I owe you an iPhone?
0: One would would think.
2: I would owe you. One well, would think, right? If not, you see the hell out God, of me and be like, you know? "Give me a goddamn iPhone." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the so so what they're able to do in medical malpractice cases is say, uh, "Yeah, I'm not going to get you that iPhone because we have a record here that uh, you get Apple Care and Apple Apple can replace that for you. So why don't you go get your your phone replaced? That's our health care. Interesting. Is that fair? That's not fair. <laughs> You know, so um, it it just boggles my mind how much money Blue Shield had to pay for my care based on their errors, mm-hmm. which means that all the ratepayers have to pay.
1: What What do you think? Um, I know we mentioned over time it there's been a lot of back and forth on this, but it has the time come to actually re- reform to change Micra? Would is twenty twenty two going to be the time? Do you think get enough interest in it and enough people know about it? I hope so.
2: It? You only, you only give up when you stop trying. And I'm not going to stop trying. And um, I believe that there is a path, absolutely, to changing this. Um, it pulls off the charts, mainly because a lot of people have been through it or had um, a friend or family member who had so they can relate to it. And um, there's been a lot of education with um, legislators who just don't have a background in this. And they're sold a bill of goods saying, this is, this is docs or lawyers. Who do you like more? And that is not, that is not, this is about a path to justice. It's about, um, mainly women and people of color and low income earners who, um, you know, are most hurt by this. And, um, once you can grab their attention for more than a, a sound bite, they're like, wait a second, this hasn't changed since 1975. There was a cap that's now worth only $50,000? It's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Then they, they're open to it. Even people who in the past have been um, opposed to a change are open to a change. You know, it's, they, there's an organization that has patient protection in their, <laughs> in their name, which is just the height of hypocrisy, who um, runs around the Capitol, you know, Protect doctors, protect doctors, when really you need to hear, protect medical malpractice insurance companies who are making a larger profit than any other insurance industry in the nation. <laughs> That's who they're protecting.
1: Wow.
2: You and remember when this start debate started,
1: this. Uh, at least I, I became familiar with it many years ago, right around the time Mike was passed, it was anesthesiologists, anesthetists and an anesthesiologists that were at the forefront of this. I remember the first year or so of this. It was, uh, their rates are going through the roof. The, supposedly, many of them were leaving their practices. There was a problem. They just could not meet these insurance rates, that kind of thing. And suddenly, that disappeared over the next couple of years. I never heard anything more about them. And Afro, in the years following MICRA, I don't remember them popping up anymore. But but that's my my memory of sort of the groundswell. Ground Zero began with the anesthetists and with the, uh, um, the yeah. anesthesiologists, kind of odd. It- uh, I don't hear about it now. Maybe it's still out there. I just don't hear about it.
2: That was, that, that was part of the, um, the strategy to pass this. And the truth is that in the 13 years after the cap was, um, was enacted, um, the premiums for medical malpractice um, insurance actually spiked 450, 450% in California. Um, then we had Prop 103. And when that was enacted in in 1988, the rates dropped 20, percent and then they stabilized. So I think um, people miss the fact that you know our insurance commissioner our insurance commissioner can regulate um, these insurance rates now, and has been doing a great job at doing that.
0: Huh. So Shonda, one uh, maybe you can give us a, a little PSA uh, section of this. Uh, before the podcast, you had mentioned that there is actually an acronym for people to recognize when they're having a stroke. And frankly, I think that'd be valuable for some of our listeners who maybe have never thought about this. You know, certainly I'm I'm 54, so I'm not, you know, prime target for having a stroke, but certainly it could happen. Yeah. And, and uh, can you go over that, yeah. like signs to recognize? I'm 29.
1: I'm only 29, and I know I feel that way too. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. That was a joke. Go ahead.
2: Um, and I... <laughs> Young people actually, stroke is on the rise for young people. Um, uh, fast, um, your face is drooping, one side, arm weakness for the A, got to lift both your arms up, and then speech difficulty. Uh, if you're having a hard time speaking or it's slurred, and then T is time to call, which is um, to get you to the hospital soon because they do actually have a way to reverse it if they catch it fast enough. Another one that is not talked enough um, in a lot of the materials I see, but I have seen elsewhere, is is that extreme headache that I had. I've met many stroke patients who have had that extreme headache, and that was their major symptom, but... Um, a little bit of liberty here. In addition to that, for medical errors in general, um, changing micro is a part of that. But patient safety is a huge, huge other limb of this issue. And I want to encourage everyone that when they do feel like something is wrong and they go to an ER or their doc, always bring someone with you. Um, have an advocate. Bring a notepad. Have a piece of paper. Hmm. Have a piece of paper and a pencil. And write down every single thing that happens. Um, that way it's not so much you're telling the doctor, I don't trust you, but when they know someone's watching, they slow down. They, and when you ask, wait, I'm sorry, what was your name? What was that? What was that medication you're giving? And you're writing it down with a time. It does make a difference in the care that you're receiving. So, I mean, what I went back to the, um, ER kind of just thought about this. I went back to the ER at one point. Um, it turned out I had pneumonia after all of this. I didn't really talk about that but then I had pneumonia but when I went in um I specifically told them I was on warfarin which is the blood thinner I'm on and so I couldn't have any NSAIDs and um the person um started wanted to give me Toradol and I'm like okay sounds good um as long as it doesn't conflict oh it wouldn't let us conflict based on our database don't worry honey I'm like okay great oh Toradol was amazing I felt so great um my um my INR, for those who understand blood thinners, went through the roof because it's an NSAID. So even when you're very, very careful, these things can happen. And so never go to an emergency room alone. Always have someone with you and always write down everything that happens. Because the next doctor that came in said, Why the hell are you on Tornal? Oh wow. And I'm
0: wow. like,
2: oh, I've got it on my paper advice, right here. Really- yeah, I shouldn't be on this.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great advice you hope you'll never need, but wow. you you may. <laughs>
1: Uh, Shauna, Wesley, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for participating with us and the uh, podcast today. It's really, really interesting. And it's some great advice there, by the way, to take a friend and take notes when you have to do this. So um, so thanks again. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, Shauna. And Shauna, thanks so much for sharing sharing your story.
2: Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah. I really appreciate it.
1: And this is John Howard saying we'll see you next time around. Thank-
0: the Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by Tassin the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Thank you very much.